the mass, I watch the swirl of smoke from candles burning. While Mary looked up yearning, I got confirmed and I confessed. I really felt that I was blessed. Plus, I love my uniform. So did the boy who lived next door. But something changed when I became of age. Things I thought were true. Someday I'd break the big taboo. Let it go, oh God. Let it go, oh God. Hello and welcome. This is Digital Free Thought Radio Hour. One o three, excuse me, this is W O Z O one o three point nine L P F M live in Knoxville, Tennessee. I'm Larry Rhodes, or DJ named uh, Doubter Five. Today we're with Wombat. How are you doing, Wombat? Wombat, feeling good. Okay, you're coming in kind of low. Um, I'll tweak you up a little bit. Say it again. <laughs> so Wombat. <laughs> Uh, I hate it that you're so shy about that, <laughs> but uh, you are coming in pretty good. I mean, I can hear you, but you're not. You're sub- definitely uh, subpar on the volume there. I've got you all the way up. So maybe I can do a quick review. I uh, had a great week. I'm so glad to be back on the show. Lots of stuff to talk about. I think we're going to have a really good one this week. Okay, really yeah, real good. And uh, we also have River. River, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. Oh, good, good. This is an, a live atheist calling radio show. We'll be talking about atheism, free thought, rational thought, humanism, and the sciences. Uh, we'll also talk about religion, religious faiths, gods, holy books, and superstition. Uh, despite what Steve Martin would have you think, there are an awful lot of atheist songs, and you'll hear some of them right here on this program and generally on the station as they are in rotation. I'll also be talking about atheist and rationalist groups that exist here in Knoxville and how you can connect with them. Um, also, did you know that there was an atheist call-in television show here in Knoxville? How did you know no that? Way, you're lying. It's impossible. <laughs> now, now it's been going on for about six and a half years now, and nobody seems to know about it, I guess because it's on uh, ctvknox.org. It's a, it's a community access TV station. A lot of people don't watch a community access station. I guess they're all into that primetime television, or they watch, uh, you know, movies on YouTube. And they're, they're MTVs when they go back about 15 years. Yeah. And you're... Okay, cool. You know, even though not a lot of people watch the show, it's good because there's a lot of Christian shows or Christian programming on that channel. It's nice to balance it out. It's nice to have an alternate opinion for anyone who does go by and watch the college show. Plus, it's all documented and recorded on YouTube, so anyone can watch it whenever they want. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The internet has changed everything. Um, though, oh, good, yeah, but I think more good than bad. Yep. Um, our call-in number, this is a call-in show too, call-in radio show, 83, I'm sorry, 865-333-5937. That's 865-333-5937. And, uh, Wombat, would you like to introduce the, to, the topic tonight? Sure. We're going to be talking supernatural this week. Uh, if you have been paying attention, uh, to what River just said, like, a couple of seconds ago, the internet has changed everything. And what's great is, uh, there's a lot of atheist material that you can see on the internet. And what that, what, how that improves more or less in, uh, atheism as well as, like, 
rational thinking as a whole is that it takes away the power that people have from just putting a bad name on APIS based on reputation alone. Now anyone can actually go on the internet and see conversations between atheists and Christians or debates or just, you know, platform talks of people explaining themselves candidly in front of cameras and it gives a better impression of what the, the opinion or at least the mindset is of an atheist. We're not all angry and we and we really care about the truth just as much as everyone else. We just have a, a very specific way of going towards it. And one of the best ways of doing it is through discourse with people who do have beliefs. Recently, uh, one atheist who's fairly prominent named Matt, uh, Matt Dillante, who's the host of the Atheist Experience, just did a debate with a preacher called, or a preacher whose name was Dr. Michael Kona. Dr. Uh -huh. Michael Kona. Mm -hmm. uh, they discussed the topic, did Jesus uh, rise from the dead? And the strategy that Dr. Michael Kona uh, used to prove that, or to argue that Jesus did in fact rise from the dead, was twofold. One, he said that supernatural things exist, and therefore, if supernatural things exist, Jesus Right, yeah, that's <laughs> quite a leap. It's like a twisted right. version of the of the Dr. Craig's uh, very collaborated Cosmo or something. Uh -huh. It's like any of the the Cosmos uh, beginning type of things, uh, or the fine tune argument, or anything that says you know that there has to be a God. Uh, there's a huge leap between saying, "Okay, well, maybe," and sure. Yahweh or the God of the Bible. Because at that point, it could be any God. It could be any God that we know about or read about or heard about or created or uh, even a God that we haven't heard of, uh, you know, some hiding God or some deist God or some God of the third galaxy over. Who knows? But, I mean, just saying sure. that logically proving that there's a God does not mean that it's your God, even if it were, even if the logic was true. So there's a lot of gaps there. And in the best interest of not, like, you know, making a parody of his point of view, I want to be absolutely fair to him. And really what his opinion was is that there's a lot of scientific evidence that would suggest that a supernatural world exists. And if a supernatural world can be established and, and determined to exist, therefore many things that we can't determine through naturalistic uh, tests can apply, such as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So basically, if he can prove that supernatural things exist, he can he can therefore take his logic to any direction that he wants. Mm -hmm. And what Matt's argument was, that Matt, the Matt the atheist argument was, is that he is not convinced that supernatural things exist. And if he until time that there's enough evidence to demonstrate that supernatural things exist, that's when he'll accept supernatural causes as a rational explanation for how things can come to pass. Right. And one of the points he kept making, and I think it's a great point, is first you've got to define what supernatural means, which nobody ever seems to, yeah. to, to, uh, to, to get around to doing. And then he's saying, if you can't even define it, if you can't even say what it's supposed to be, how can you possibly use it with expl ex for explanatory power uh, to give us answers about something that we don't understand when it's something that we don't understand to begin with? I mean, even if it's That's real. That's yeah. Exactly. Ruth, how would you define supernatural? Well, I had uh, two thoughts. Uh, what about supernatural, let me get right back to, but another one is that um, 
if the logic, let's say someone took the logic to, okay, we've confirmed just hypothetically that the supernatural is necessary, okay. And then you want to continue that on to the Judeo-Christian story, then where to stop there? I mean, why not just go on to uh, talk about Mithra and Krishna and so on and so on? But uh, so it's interesting how that never comes up, or I think it should come up more often. But as far as supernatural goes, um, it is a perplexing question because as soon as we can observe something and understand it, deconstruct it, it's no longer supernatural. It is right. part of the body of science. So it's, you know. I think some people might see that as a dodge. Like, well, if you're going to just throw everything into, the, into this one thing, well, I just can't win. To which my response would be, I don't think it's about winning. I think it's about pursuing truth. Right. And if this mm-hmm. method is the most reliable, you know, why not use this method until something is overwhelmingly more effective? And thus far, as science continues to win, I guess. Right. And the thing about it is science itself says that they cannot touch or explain anything that's supernatural. They don't even try because they are concerned with the natural world. And until something comes along that that is beyond this natural world and can be demonstra- demonstrated to be true, um, then they don't, they don't have anything to say about it. It's just beyond their realm. It's beyond their explanatory power. Thing about it is, if it was beyond nature, let's say it's in a it's in a another cosmos that's neighboring ours, then it would be a natural thing in that that cosmos. Right. I think at the point when someone can establish that parallel universes exist, uh-huh. they no longer become a supernatural concept. They become just a part of our natural world, and therefore we still have a search for what is supernatural. What about here's just a kind of a curveball. So we're looking for to describe supernatural. What about if we ask to describe natural, right? Uh, oh, I might de- yeah, I might describe that as something we observe, and uh, we can perhaps test experiments and conditions and repetition and so on and so on, and it essentially becomes just an ex- <laughs> it essentially becomes analogous to uh, the scientific method. Um, so that's my take on it succinctly yeah and a lot of it comes down go ahead sorry oh sure sorry for saying if I could put my two cents in I would say we have what we call a natural world but really what that just means is the default world that we live in Uh, the world that we live in naturally as we exist so anything that we can conceive Anything that we conceive of as a thought, like uh, a pink unicorn, that thought exists in my brain naturally. So it's an idea that I have that I've come up in this natural world. So there are things that I may not be able to test or observe that I can think about, mm-hmm. and the thought is also natural. Like love is an abstract concept. I can't see it, and who knows if it, like, I mean, can be uh, tested. I don't necessarily have, like, a love detector machine that I built. Well, but there is... But there is things that I can conceive of that still take place in the natural world and therefore are part of the natural world. Things that take place supernaturally would require a jump outside of our natural world. Mm-hmm. And, in, and if we have no way of detecting what's outside of our natural world, we can't make a distinction of whether or not even anything right. in that supernatural world exists. And so, so what we're just waiting for is like, 
an explanation for something outside of a natural right. and so much, right, so much of it comes down to interpretation <clears throat> I mean a preacher will tell you you'll, you'll go to church and you'll be moved by the majesty of the presentation the music, the standing, the droning the, the chiming in, the harmony uh, and then the preacher will come and tell you well that's, that's the uh, Holy Spirit moving within you maybe sure. Maybe not. I mean, yeah. we know of, of <laughs> natural causes that do things like that. Have you ever been to a, a very emotional movie where the music wells yes. at the end and you start crying? And you, I mean, your emotions overtake you. Slow Is that motion. the spirit of God moving in you at that time? Okay. You know, it, yeah. it's a lot of interpretation involved here. Uh, why can't it be the same natural emotions working on you in church, which he then interprets as a supernatural? Well, you know, it's not exciting. That's the reason why. It's always, it feels special to say, hey, I have this special feeling. There's no way it can be natural. It must be something else. But the real thing about it is the natural world is so beautiful, so incredible, that it's better than anything that I could ever make up. And if we took more time to understand what the limits or possible limitless nature of the natural world is, mm-hmm. I think we'd be more impressed by having feelings that we can define as natural rather than something that is ultimately just a concept that we made up in the natural world, yeah. possible. Right. One of the things that kept bothering me uh, during that debate, the Matt Delahunty debate you were talking about, I, I watched it this afternoon, mm-hmm. and uh, the preacher would keep bringing up, uh, you know, testimony. The testimony of Paul, sure. the testimony of the uh, disciples. Um, those are just stories in a book. We have no idea who wrote them. Even historians and biblical scholars will tell you we don't know the authors of those stories. But then how can we give them any credence for being eyewitness accounts? We don't know who wrote them. Well, can I we, don't, you, we don't know when they were. We have a pretty good idea of when they wrote them. They were uh, 70 to 100 years later or more. So let, that but, let me give you the counter that he provided because that's exactly how we started the debate in the first place. Uh-huh. A bunch of testimonies. But he said that people who have an argument with, you know, you can't trust the, the first eyewitness account, then why do you believe Abraham Lincoln exists? That's just a bunch of people who says, wrote diaries about some guy, and we have uh, speeches written by some guy, but if no one's ever seen them, how do you know? We have so, photographic um, evidence of Lincoln. Yeah. We have Lincoln photographs. Yeah, we have substantial evidence yeah. as well. But even if, let's talk about Caesar. Yeah. Uh, we have things that Caesar yeah, probably, wrote. Sure. Probably you know, better. Yeah. We have many, many sources of information where Caesar, uh, you know, his his uh, war, his wars, his campaigns, his, his love life. Uh, we have a lot of people who were contemporary historians that were keeping track of all of this. And from many valid sources, very, very good sources. Uh, for Jesus, uh, hardly anything basically anything at all, nothing at all outside of the Bible has ever been provided uh, to substantiate the uh, the claims of the Bible. Even uh, um, what are the, some of the people this, that wrote about Christianity afterwards? It was Tinnitus or uh, Pliny the Elder. Even they was even when they were writing, you could tell it was hearsay. They were writing about the Christian movement. They were writing about what they heard the Christians were doing. That none of it that was eyewitness. Can I ask a, quite, a poignant question that sure. maybe uh, a listener would probably look okay. at this conversation right now? Sure. Be afraid to ask. Why isn't the Bible enough? Like, you, you have multiple eyewitness accounts chronicled in one book compatible for you. It's not as if it was like 
one book that came and fell out of the sky. This is compiled from many different eyewitnesses. Right. Talk that around with them. Why isn't that enough? Yeah. And if you'd like to call in and answer that question, the phone number is 865-333-5937. That's 333-5937. And the lines are open. We have What's that number one more time? <laughs> 865-333-5937. Nice. If I could uh, jump in there, I guess a small take on it. Uh, sure. So Let's say you have uh, some kind of cult uh, somewhere elsewhere parts in the world, and let's say you have multiple witnesses, and let's say if you have a chronology of it going back 20, 30 years, whatever, um, and you have all these eyewitness accounts, right? Uh, what would be the difference then if someone say, well, clearly, there are all these people who attest to this happening, and then they, you know, on pain of death, they swear it up and down and up and down, and they're zealous about it. Does that make it any more true? And uh, given the circumstances, it might be more difficult to argue. Well, these are pretty severe. I mean, playing counterapologist in this, mm-hmm. playing apologist in this, in this little thought experiment, someone might say, "Well, look at the circumstances. These are so extreme that who would ever dare lie about it?" Right? This is a point that is often brought up about the disciples and who would lie about these things under considering the conditions and so on. What was at stake? And if you if you look back and stop with the the assumption that everything is true accounts of people and look at it that this is a story among many stories among many many, many other stories yeah, and other books other holy books right. that are in the world every all of which have a very adamant uh, individuals saying that they are true and they conflict with this this book uh, one thing that gets me is that David Hume was a, um, a philosopher who lived a couple hundred years ago, and he said, a wise man apportions his beliefs to the evidence. Mm-hmm. Now, if you've got somebody who's saying that uh, that Jesus flew up, bodily flew up into heaven or walked on water, um, we know that people exaggerate. We know that, we know that people um, mm-hmm. don't remember things correctly. Uh, we know that people will lie to to promote a belief. Matter of fact, the people in the New Testament are definitely doing that. They're writing to promote a belief. They will tell you that. Um, but why would we accept that uh, that miracles actually occur, which is you know requires a huge amount of evidence over the fact that they're just stories? Okay, dude, I love both of you guys' answers. Can I take a moment to summarize them both real quick? Certainly, go ahead. So Riv's, Riv's point is essentially saying that in a world where a group, any group of people can come up with a book of false testimony and present it as if it was fact, how can I differentiate between a group like that and a group that is telling the truth, or two groups that come to me with a book that says these incredible things happen? How can I tell which one of them are actually telling the truth, or if either of them, or if any of them are actually? Well, uh, again, quoting and that's when you need, quoting Hume, and that's uh, when you need, yeah, you know, portion your belief to the to, evidence. Uh, Stories are not evidence. And then going, exactly, and then going to doubter five's point of view, it's you know, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. The more extreme the stories become, the more information I'm going to need to support the claims that are made, because. They're challenging a world view, and they need more demonstrable evidence to support well, whatever they're trying to say. There, uh, there's 
challenging all of natural science as we know it too. It's not just a worldview; it's 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 uh, challenging natural law. Right. Yeah. Natural yeah. law. Talking supernatural. That's right. Good. So, uh-huh. what? So it seems like testimony isn't a very good way to prove that the supernatural exists. Is that our conclusion? Well, I'd like to have some kind of proof, and I don't know how we would test it. What a sufficiently advanced civilization would possess technology that would be indistinguishable from magic. And who was that? Isaac Asimov say that? Uh, Arthur C. Clarke. Oh, yeah. Arthur C. Clarke. I always get okay. them mixed yeah. up. Yeah, there you go. But I mean, who, who could say that if we saw something like disappear or levitate or take off into the sky, that it wasn't done by aliens, which is a natural explanation. It's a sufficiently advanced it, a civilization. Could be. We would we would credit that story, I would think, before we would credit a supernatural, you know, uh, explanation. There, there's actually an animation of walking. I'm watching at the moment. It's, it has to do with this. It's called the regular at uh, magic. The regular at something at magic high, whatever it was. But anyway. So the, the, the background to it is that World War III breaks out, overpopulation, all these things happen, which, aside from overpopulation, I don't think we'll ever get the 12 billion, because... The what was the last? I don't think we'll ever get the 12 billion people. Oh. There's all this fear of how will we, how will we, how will we? Yeah. But the thing is, when civilizations uh, go through their own version of industrial revolutions, and they advance, and what that happens is they level out. And they stop having this rod of growth, and they let that aside. So the premise there is that this big epidemic happens, mass, it's, it's war, it's, it's war as hell, it's all that kind of stuff. And uh, they develop these uh, technologies, which are, it's like quantum computing times quantum computing. So, and it even says, though, in the very, in, in the very opening, that they developed technology which is indistinguishable from magic. So if someone were just born, didn't mm-hmm. know the difference, their time traveled, they might come to that society and think, what? We have all these this conditions. Is all over this. It's yeah. just no, it's all numbers. We developed this technology that you wouldn't know the difference. Right. Right. That's so true. Um sidetrack, sorry. <coughs> Excuse me. So uh, we're getting down toward the bottom of the hour. I think I'll go ahead and play the, the infomercial if it were talking about the... i got a great topic when we come back. Okay, sounds real good. Um, this is WOZO 103.9 LPFM live in Knoxville, Tennessee and we're going to take just a minute to listen to Apocalyptic Love Song for Hitchens by Shelley Siegel. So uh, we'll be back in just a minute. Do you find stories of talking snakes laughable? Do you prefer the scientific method over supernatural beliefs? Are you concerned about religious leaders and organizations imposing their values and rules on your body, your family, and the rest of our society? Well, take comfort in the fact that you're not alone. The Rationalists of East Tennessee meets weekly for fellowship and provides a forum for people who support skeptical thinking and rational discussion of these and other issues. To find out more information or to find out about our next meeting, visit us on the web at www.rationalist.org. One day the sun is going to die For us it means no more sunsets to the universe Just one less star in the sky 
a little bit about the groups here in Knoxville before we get back into our subject. Uh, we talked about the Atheist Call-In TV show. It's called Free Thought Forum. You can watch it every Tuesday between 5 and 6 o'clock or that it comes on at 5 o'clock on Comcast Channel 12, Charter Channel 192. Uh, you can watch it streaming online at ctvnox.org as well. Uh, we have a fan out there and he's been putting some of these programs up on YouTube, quite a few of them actually. And if you want to go to YouTube and look up uh, Free Thought Forum Knoxville, that's three words, then uh, you can find them there. Uh, there's also the groups themselves are the Atheist Society of Knoxville. They meet for happy hour and food every Tuesday at West Hills Taps and Flats. Everybody's welcome, as long as you don't come to preach, proselytize, provoke, or punch. And apologies to Matt Dale Hunty, uh, who coined the phrase. Then there's the Rationalists of East Tennessee. They've been around for about 20 years. RET has bi-weekly presentations and discussions. They're, they meet at the Pellissippi State Campus near Hardin Valley Road. They meet the first and third Sundays at the Goins Administration Building Cafeteria Annex, which is just a big room off the cafeteria. 
follow the signs. Uh, go there about 10.30 or so, 10.15 on Sundays, follow the signs. And if you get confused, you can always get directions from the website, rationalist.org. And I forgot to give the website for the Atheist Society of Knoxville. It's knoxvilleatheist.org. There's also the Sunday Assembly, which started in England about two years ago, maybe three years ago, and has spread around the world. It's a no-God church setting for those who have had enough of religion, but would still like the fellowship of a church-type gathering. The international buildings where it's held on the fairgrounds, and they meet the fourth Sunday of each month. Just one Sunday a month, be there, be square. Uh, also, if you're familiar with the Freedom from Religion Foundation, they now have a, an East Tennessee chapter right here in Knoxville. They meet every third Wednesday of the month at 7 o'clock at the Earth Fair at Turkey Creek. So write that down. Be there. If you have a community event or like a public announcement be made on Wozo Radio, just create an MP3 file to reflect that event. Then contact us via our website, that's wozoradio.com, to arrange for it to be played in rotation. And that's about it. Uh, did you want to start your your topic back up? Get that motorboat going? Oh, Riverhead, oh, something. Oh, feeling good. Uh, River, Riverhead has hand up. Just a <laughs> really, really quick note. I could, I could on the Sunday assembly. I really like the potential that has there because if you look back, you know, at history and in the transition of the Christian conversions and so on, the pagans, how those had underground movements going on, and. Uh, you look back at that, and you see a lot of similarities um, as far as incorporating holidays and festivities. You know, and then you had this mix of, of uh, Christian from pagan roots and so on, absorbing everything into it, right? And it made a transition, just objectively for sufficiency. It was one of the things that did that. With Sunday Assembly, I like that because it instead of just cutting someone off and saying, "Okay, well, no more church." It, it provides some environment for someone who's curious and likes the environment, even helps people who are kind of uncertain and they're lost in their beliefs, and they go there, and that's kind of like a problem. I think it can help. Yeah. Like Dan Barker would, would say, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Bath There's a lot of good things about church that we can use. The community, the camaraderie, the, the singing, the sure. you know the, the community part of it. Yeah. Uh, we don't have to have supernatural beliefs to give that type of community uh, assembly credit, and we should do that. Okay, back to you, Wombat. Oh, Wombat! We're talking supernatural on this show, uh-huh. uh, and I'm looking forward to getting into the other side of the debate. So basically, we covered the pastor Lacona's or Michael Lacona's perspective of using testimony to prove that the supernatural exists. You brought up a lot of stories of like Ouija boards moving, people being healed through prayer, uh, the, uh, money being sent to his church and the exact amount that he prayed for, uh, and various quasi-scientific proofs that a supernatural world might exist. And ultimately, Mike Dillahunty, the atheist perspective, uh, counter to his claims was not that the supernatural world doesn't exist, that Michael Cohen is wrong, but that he didn't do his uh, enough work to provide a convincing argument that the supernatural world exists. And what he summarized this argument as is the null hypothesis. What's the null hypothesis, you might ask? 
Yeah, why, why, why is that? Why give us an explanation? <laughs> I'm asking you. To me? <laughs> why explain to me? Well, uh, it's a starting point. It's where uh, you would say, uh, this is our default position, and uh, it's reasonable position to hold, and to change our position from that, we should have evidence uh, to go in another direction. Yeah, that's, that's actually pretty good. You know, um, if we only had an example of what the null hypothesis could look like. Well, we do. <laughs> May I give you one? Yeah. In, in our court system, the null hypothesis is that if somebody comes in and being charged with a crime, the null hypothesis says that as the, as the case begins, they're assumed innocent. That's the starting point, and that takes evidence to change that position. And uh, I have another one here as well. Uh, say I'm, I'm holding the hat in my right hand. Uh, you could tell me this uh, fabric made out of various uh, amounts of cloth and tapestry is actually made of pure lead and metal. I would say, no, it's made out of tapestry and weaving. Nope, nope, it's metal. And so religions tend to do that tacitly. where They say, yeah, I see what you're showing me, and all the proof is there, and I can test it, I can verify it, but it's all false. But it's, it's you can't get the logic there. So it's basically it's, it's unconvincing arguments to sway from what is understood. The default position, such as the hat is made out of tapestry and weaving. Can I make can I make another example? Well, can I throw my hat in here. Anything to help clarify oh. the position. All right. So in so as far as I'm aware of what the no hypothesis is, it's not saying that. All right, so if I had a coin, for example, a coin has a head and a tail on it. It's not a trick coin. I flip it in the air, I catch it, and I cover it over with my hand. So the coin is either head or it's tails, and I don't know which one it is. Mm-hmm. So right now my position is I don't know if the coin is heads. Right. Mm-hmm. If a guy comes up to me and says, hey, that coin that neither of us can see is heads, I don't believe him yet, but that doesn't mean I think it's tails. It just means... I'm waiting for the guy who said it was head to provide some information. Maybe he has an x-ray. Right. Maybe he has a very, very small camera. Anything that he could do to, pers- to sway me towards his position. But by me not being convinced by him doesn't mean that I think it's tails. And it doesn't mean that I think it's heads. Right. It's just a null hypothesis. I mm-hmm. have no point where I have a pick the side either way. Right. And that's what essentially the no hypothesis. Yeah. In programming, I'm not, I'm not. we have true-false fields, we have binary fields that are true or false, but they actually have three positions. They can be true, they can be false, or they can be neither. They can have, have null in them, nothing in them. Oh, I like that. Yeah. It's, it's the none of the above. Right. right. <laughs> uh-huh. If you really, if the no hypothesis is always the fourth box that you uh, circle on a multiple choice. Uh-huh. It's like I don't. I'm not convinced any of these are the right answer. I'm at default. None of these answers are true, and that's Maxwell on perspective. Uh-huh. He's basically saying, "Hey, you know, Pastor Lacona or Doctor Lacona, I hear you saying all these things, but I have a problem with each of the proofs that you're presenting because they fall apart if we just look at them under this context, or this this is not very rigorous uh, study." And these arguments are falling apart, more or less. I'm still unconvinced. doesn't mean that I think there's no supernatural world. It doesn't mean that I think there is a supernatural world. My position remains as the null state, where I believe I have no opinion on it, and I just don't know if one exists or one doesn't. And until we can decide that, or until we can determine that a supernatural world exists, that's when I'll accept it as a rational explanation for why Jesus could have brought the from the dead. 
But mm. lacking that, there's no rational explanation that's good using supernatural world as a justification right. to explain that. And, and throughout history, it, it seems to me, I mean, from reading history, that um, Christians and, and um, Muslims, Mormons, whoever, the belief system, uh, they don't have any problem making grandiose supernatural claims. I mean, they will make claims all day long. Uh, they never present any evidence with it other than pointing at a book that has some text in it that who knows where it came from or who wrote it. But it's claim after claim after claim. You can go on uh, Facebook right now, go to any Christian site or even a debate site, and you get people making un- unreasonable uh, supernatural claims and just sitting there expecting you to believe them. Uh, something I think is important is to make the distinction between it's not just that claims are being made in a book and we have nothing opposing it. It's that claims are being made in a book and we have everything to oppose it. That's a huge difference, I think. Um, not, not to say that it's being... It just gets kind of passively just rolled into the umbrella of, of why positions are made and why they're held. But to someone who might perhaps think that, well, what's the difference the Bhagavad Gita and the Quran and the Bible and the teaching, you know, that can be found in Asatru and so on, so on, and, and, the, and the Sikhs. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the difference? Well, they're all just different takes on how they think about things. Okay. Well, no, that would be philosophy. This, right. I mean, I just how you think about things is, is not what these books are promoting. They're, they're promoting <clears throat> supernatural adventures, supernatural creatures like uh, demons and angels and gods and um, even unicorns, which would be a natural, but they still claim that they're there and we have no evidence for that. But, I mean, golden plates for the Mormonism, they, they have, they claim that angels come down, um, that suit the souls exist, that they will live forever. There's no evidence for that. Um, but it's not just philosophical. Look, there are philosophical religions, uh, Buddhism, Taoism, um, Zoroastrianism. Our philosophical religions. How about, how about, sure, how about something more? Uh, it, this happens even in science as well. Mm-hmm. There's, for example, it, we, when we publish a paper, we're trying to convince people of our findings, and we, until we do, their position is no hypothesis. An example of this would be uh, um, uh, lots of fossil... No, how about this? Ozone layer. There was a point when we didn't know what the ozone layer was very well, and we were trying to explain that, hey, if you have these kinds of chemicals that you put in your refrigerators or put inside diesel fuel, they burn and they go into the atmosphere and they erode at the natural layer of ozone uh-huh. in, like, one of the highest layers. But we didn't have a way to see that because ozone doesn't really have a, 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 a very easily perceptible color. And we need to develop um, monitors to or a diagnostic method to sample very specific sections of the air to find where there's gaps of ozone. And that took a while. And until then, most even scientists, credible scientists, were doubtful that an ozone layer hole could have even existed and right. were unaware of any way they could test it. It wasn't until it was rigorously demonstrated that there was a proof that was, there was, that there was demonstrable evidence that proved that the ozone hole existed somewhere over Australia uh, and in smaller areas all around uh, well-developed countries. And now that we know that, we took the steps forward to reduce the holes, and thankfully we have much smaller holes of ozone in our uh, atmosphere, which is a good thing. But again, the scientists had a null hypothesis for 
we don't believe it until you can prove it. And even if it was at our detriment that we didn't believe it, we ultimately were convinced through good evidence and good proof. Yeah. And that's what's lacking on Dr. Michael Kona's part. Just good evidence, good demonstrable evidence that can sway people, even who don't want to believe that there is no such thing as a supernatural. It should be so convincing and compelling that everyone should be able to look at an evidence objectively and come to the same conclusion. And what do they fall back on when they don't have the evidence? Threats. Uh, yeah. Threats on yeah, uh, where your soul is going to go in the afterlife when there's no evidence that a soul exists or an afterlife exists or sin exists or redemption well, or salvation or any of that. Stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all supernatural. That falls. That all falls into that big basket of supernatural. You know, I found that um, a lot of people lean on supernatural as a way of having an answer instead of saying, I don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, it's like, I don't know, doesn't feel good when you say it sometimes. Until you right. really understand the value of it, saying it makes you feel vulnerable, mate. Saying it makes you feel like, oh man, there's a lot more work that needs to be done. But having supernatural as a go to answer, having like God or uh-huh. spirit or soul or sin or that person mm-hmm. that's in around, I don't have to worry about them or have that, things like that solve uh, our cure all for a lot of doubt that people don't want to deal with in their lives. And as unfortunate as that is, it's also very tantalizing because you don't get that from I don't know. What you get from I don't know is now I have the first step to figuring out how something works. Then you don't know. It's just, oh, go ahead. I don't know is a good, honest answer. I mean, it's in in a lot of cases, it's the correct answer. It's the answer you should come up with. Um, exactly. You know, it's the no hypothesis. Right. Uh, saying that Thor is the cause behind uh, lightning and thunder is 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 far worse than saying I don't know. I mean, you posited something that you now have to come up with reams of evidence to prove, and nobody has ever done that. I mean, it's it's still not being done. No evidence is being put forward for Yahweh, other than an old book. You could point to the the old books, the stories. Right, and, and look at imagine, take Thor for example. So say, let's say hypothetically situation, twenty years, someone grows up in, in a environment and where they basically they're taught a lot of uh, pagan stories, and they're convinced with all this indoctrination that all of them are true. You know, the, the Loki and all of them, right? Um, and then have someone who was not raised in that environment, and perhaps they were encouraged to critically think and so on and so on, and so they come off with a more, you know, maybe agnostic, atheist position on it. And, uh, and so you put the two together, and one might say, well, yes, I can explain how lighting functions. You have this, right, you have the chemicals combining, and you have, you know, combine the whole explanation. And the other one, she says, Thor does it. And then so you have these two dichotomies, but then, when you ask the other which one how do they provide their evidence and you go through the natural means and the other says well book told me it's it's just interesting that uh, anytime you have a stray from what is understood uh, you get to a point where if you just don't know it's hard to imagine anything else other than that mm-hmm. like why well, can't imagine this is all I've ever known nothing else makes sense yeah and not only that, when you say not all you've ever known, why would it be all you've ever known? 
because you were raised in a Christian or a Muslim or whatever household, and one, you were fed this stuff from your very earliest childhood, and two, in some cases, especially in the Muslim uh, communities, they don't let you go to regular school. You only go to the Muslim school. You only study the Quran. That's all you study. You don't get information outside of that little bubble. I just think it ties in well with the, with the null one. It is that uh, I kind of take it to a direction of death, right? Someone mm-hmm. who someone presupposed souls in the afterlife, so on, so on, so on. Mm-hmm. And I forget who quoted it. It was, uh, I wasn't inconvenienced the very least before I was born. Mark, uh, Mark Twain. Mark Twain. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the quote goes, but mm-hmm. you try to ask someone, what was it like to be, in, what, what was it like around of... Um, 300 BC. What was it like? Well, I don't know. I wasn't born. How did it feel? I don't know. I wasn't born. Yeah. So far as we know, that's how it feels when you die. Mm-hmm. As far as we know, yeah. he, he said, "I've been. I was. I was dead for thousands of years before I was born, and I was not inconvenienced in the least." Right. And that's how he thinks about death. Right. <clears throat> it just kind of relates to me the kind of the natural. I don't know. This is all we have to go off yeah. of, kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. How about we go over, as a summary then, uh, the process is basically, hey, I don't have enough evidence to believe what you said. Could you mind, would you mind doing a little bit more work, asking yourself what you don't, or what you haven't done yet, and then figuring that out, and then coming back, and then we can have a discussion. And if it's compelling, I'll change my mind. But until then, I don't have enough evidence to, to rationally change uh, or to sway to your position. That's all Matt was saying throughout the whole debate. Uh, it was actually really, really great because uh, in doing so, um, the pastor had to develop some almost new material on the spot because he realized that, to a certain extent, testimony wasn't necessarily the best way of providing supernatural. So he came up with a new definition of what supernatural was. On the fly. The debate. On the fly. Yeah, and... <clears throat> and the the new definition was instead of just like you know the supernatural is God like you know the supernatural is uh, is you know the love in your heart when you open up yourself up to Jesus Christ. instead of that he was saying the supernatural is everything that cannot be explained by the natural world up to this point yeah One and that the, was a really mm. inter- oh go for it no no go ahead well that was a really interesting definition because. Essentially, that's very similar to what you guys were just discussing, where, you know, you could have a scientific phenomenon or something that uh, we can observe as a phenomenon but don't have an explanation yet, currently, right now, that may have a natural explanation later in the future. But for at least now, that could be deemed as a supernatural uh, 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 occurrence. For example, thunder or lightning. That was something that people looked at and attributed to God because we didn't understand how it worked. Now we do. And now that we do, it's now a natural thing. It seems like it is in, or like as Doubter 5 suggested, advanced technology from an uh, alien race might appear to us as magic. But if we understood the technology, then it becomes just another component of the natural order. Uh, If we continue to pop away at what is supernatural and replace it with natural explanations and natural phenomena. Even like the 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 uh, the the <laughs> fact that I can make new people or replicate life or uh, how life changes over time. These are things that we can observe naturally. Uh, and as a result, 
the supernatural explanations become less comprehensive and less powerful as a result. Yeah. And Matt pointed on this. Oh, go for it. Well, what really got me about the conversation, one of the things that, that really bugged me about it, was that the the preacher kept coming up with these examples, and even people in the audience who came up to the microphone to ask questions kept saying, "Well, what if I walked outside now? If we, you and I, walked out now, and we walked out <laughs> over this pond, and I walked on water, and then flew up into the sky, you know, wouldn't you believe supernatural then?" And no. I mean, they always come up with these incredible. Uh, scenarios that have a possibility of about zero ever happening and then saying, wouldn't that prove it to you? And, and no, it wouldn't because, you know, it's not going to happen. I'm sorry. You should not be getting well, given credence for uh, making up a scenario like that. So hold on. So if something like that did happen, it would be so incredible that I would like to go through all the natural explanations mm-hmm. first before I jump right. to natural as a result. Uh-huh. So like, how can I cancel out that aliens were hiding behind Mars and had levitation technology and right. pulled you up? Yeah. How can I, you know, rule out that it wasn't just an elaborate magic trick right. and all my friends or colleagues are lying yeah. to me? Yeah, so how can I just say that it's... Yeah, or yeah. group hallucinations, mm-hmm. or it was just a really bad vivid yeah. dream, or well, just a really great illusion. Right. Why, would anybody, that, why would anybody jump to supernatural as an explanation? I mean, they should... I mean, think of uh, these these teenage um, detectives they're, they're constantly going you know the books that are written uh, what was it and something Drew Mysteries what's her name uh, anyway yeah, you should start with a skeptical attitude and find out you know think of what could possibly happen in using natural causes before you should ever jump to the supernatural it should be the very last if you ever go there at all so, yeah, that's the point. It's not necessarily an issue that it's an explanation. It's an issue that it's even an option mm-hmm. until it's presented as something that can actually be existing. Like, there's there's no proof of it even being a real thing. And until then, then it becomes an option that we can consider. Because why don't we consider uh, sparkling unicorn magic? Like, sparkling unicorn magic can be just as much of a coveted explanation as supernatural things can be. But we don't consider sparkling unicorn magic because we don't yeah. have a, any proof of it existing. Yeah. So we go with what we have, and those are the list of explanations that we have. And until we exhaust all of those, reasonably exhaust all of them, then we need to start looking for new things. So the interesting part, though, is that if we find something, most likely if we can test it and observe it and define that as a rational explanation for why an observable consequence occurred, that becomes part of the natural world. Mm-hmm. So. By definition, it couldn't be a supernatural thing if supernatural is apart from what yeah. the natural order is. Yeah. So it's, it's like, by definition, it's an impossible or a near paradoxical uh, cause for things to occur. Yeah. One thing that uh, Matt Delahunty obliquely referenced was uh, the witch trials. And uh, okay. one of the things that the most important thing that brought the witch trials to an end was that the judge, I think it was um, the governor, it was Phipps, P-H-I-P-P-S in Massachusetts, uh, dis- started to disallow spectral evidence. In other words, you can't say, I saw my my, uh, my neighbor dancing in the shape of a wolf in a full moon last night. You know, that, that was... Me into a newt. That was no... Yeah, or turned me into a newt. That is no longer allowed in our court system. You should think, 
why is that no longer allowed? You know, ask yourself that. Think through it. Uh, don't just accept that, uh, you know, anything that somebody says supernatural based would be any reason for, uh, for believing it to be true. You know, a lot of it's taken for complacency, right? It was earlier mentioned in the show talking about how we now understand uh, the ozone layer, right? Um, now we understand it, but until then, it wasn't necessarily a given thing. It had to be shown, had to be uh, demonstrated, had to be verified, had to be falsified. And now we understand it's taken for granted. Um, so right. someone, someone might look at our, our gizmos today and think, well, this is... It's just the way it is. No, that's not all the way it was. No. It, it's not the way it was at all. We just take it for granted now, and I think it be, mm-hmm. it, it, may, it creates an interesting position um, for everyone on all sides of the, of, 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 the, of the argument trying to just pursue the truth and show where they get it from. And he, yeah. yeah. Uh, we got about five minutes left in the show. We need to start winding it down. Uh, Wombat, would you like to start and give us your final uh, essay on the subject? Sure. Before we go. <laughs> so uh, I would say, just to summarize, uh, you know, you can have a thousand versions of the same story sent to you, but in terms of proving that an extraordinary thing such as a supernatural world exists, you need more demonstrable evidence than just, this guy said that, this lady had this experience, this one thing happened to me last week. Mm-hmm. You need better things that we can test if you want to convince people or convince rational-minded people. Right. Um, as far as Matt Delhunty's position, he's not saying that the supernatural doesn't exist. He does recognize that it would be a difficult thing to prove, but that's not his problem. His, his position is saying, if you want to prove it, if you want me to believe it, you need to prove it to me. And until you do that, I'm not going to believe mm-hmm. in it. But that doesn't mean that I believe the opposite, where a supernatural world doesn't exist. And it just means that I don't believe you, and you need to do more work to the same thing. It's a challenge rather than a right. uh, dismissal. Yeah. And uh, one last point. I think it'd be a fun thing for people to try out a null hypothesis in their life. Flip a coin, see if it's heads or tails uh, underneath your hand. If you can't and you don't know if it's heads or tails, that is your null hypothesis. That if is you're your gonna answer. Go, that's your answer. And mm. it's okay to say you don't know. That's all. all right. Have a good right. week, guys. You too. Riv? Uh, I won't try to squish it all into a, a long thing, but essentially try, I would say, to look for the differences between folk tales and historicity. Because if you have a folk tale of something, but you have the evidence to back it up, then it's history. If you have a folk tale and there's no evidence to back it up, then it's speculation, it's myth. It's a sheer claim. It's just, just look, a claim. Yeah, look for the evidence. Yeah, it's entertainment. Right, right, <laughs> in a lot right, of places. Right. I remember buying a, a book of ghost stories when I was a teenager. Uh, does not mean any of them were true, but it was entertaining. And right. we have movies, of course, to that effect. Um, one thing I would I would send out to the uh, audience who's listening is that if God interacts with the world like he is claimed to do, and he makes changes in the world, and he does things, then it is testable. It's a natural uh, occurrence that he is influencing. Uh, if he's, Let's say that intercessory prayer works, uh, then people who are being prayed for in, in, uh, in the hospital would be t- you know, made well, um, or even laid on hands, that type of thing. But we don't see that. We see uh, modern medicine making people well. Uh, there's a there's a meme that's on the internet now. It says as a handicapped 
parking out in front of churches and the 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 sign under it or the text under it says what's the matter with these people can't they heal them <laughs> it, there's even study that goes to that prayer I forget the exact number but it was what almost 2,000 or plus people uh-huh. uh, the people were being prayed for and knew they were being prayed for fared worse than the people yeah. who didn't know yeah, them. So like performance anxiety they, right. they felt they were being prayed for therefore they felt that they had to do better right. and uh, just made them uh, made them do worse actually during their recovery Well, that's our show for this week. We'll be back next week about 6 o'clock on this channel. Uh, WOZO Radio, 103.9 LPFM, Knoxville, Tennessee. I'm going to leave you with uh, Symphony of Science's Secret of the Stars, and we'll see you next week. Say, do you like mystery stories? Well, we have one for you. The concept? Relativity. That strange, fantastic relationship between time, distance, and math. Before we're finished, I think you'll agree that truth is stranger than the strangest fiction. Why do the stars shine? Why does the galaxy light up? E equals MC squared. That is the engine that lights up the stars. Energy turns into mass. E equals MC squared. That is the secret of the stars. Now listen carefully. The faster you move, the heavier you get. The energy of motion turns into M, your mass. Energy of motion. Energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. Speed of light squared. An awful lot of energy for a tiny amount of mass. Light travels at the same speed, no matter how you look at it. No matter how, no matter how I move relative to you, light travels at the same speed. No matter who is doing the measurement. No matter what direction you are moving, the speed of light is the same. The speed of light is the same. No matter what direction or, or how fast. As you travel faster, time slows down. Everything slows down. Everything slows down. Time slows down when your time passes at a different rate. Clocks run slow. It's a monumental shift in how we see the world. The beauty, the majesty, the power of the universe into a single equation. 